Oh, I'm really excited to be here. Um, if you're new, let me welcome you. My name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors here at Kesed. And uh, thanks so much for checking us out. I know there's a ton of great churches in town. And uh, if, you, if this is like kind of a risk for you, this whole faith thing, this is a safe place. We're so excited that you're here. And uh, we hope that uh, something happens to you. Something good. Something good. <laughs> Just something good. You're like, I knew it. This crazy people are going to try to get in my head. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We're in a series called Hullabaloo right now, and uh, we're celebrating because we have a building downtown that we're remodeling, and we launched that about four or five weeks ago, the remodel part. We got our permit, and we just started diving into work, and somebody said, hey, why don't we slow down and celebrate and also ask that bigger question, what is it in my own life that I'm supposed to celebrate? Because all of us have something. All of us have something that God's doing uh, that really, if you don't stop and look for, you'll miss. And so that's what the series is about. We're in week three of it. And uh, I, I want to say something about today's talk before I dive in. Um, today's talk is a lot of information. It's, it's fun and it's upbeat, but it's a lot of information. Today's talk looks a lot like this. And so I just want to make sure you understand. <laughs> you understand you're going to get the message today, but it, it might feel like that when you leave and that's okay. Uh, all the notes uh, are on the app, so you can get on our app, hit sermon notes. All of my notes are on there. You can also watch online. Everything's recorded if you miss anything. But I'm not going to slow down. I'm going to push through because I'm, I'm super excited about what God revealed to me this week. And I, I think it's, uh, it's going to make a difference. Uh, the question we're asking this week is, when it comes to the celebration thing, what if I don't feel like I'm living a life of celebration? So... We've talked about this idea that we are supposed to be responding week one to the goodness and mercy of God. We talked about sometimes it's not about celebrating corporately, it's about celebrating by yourself. That was our, our talk last week about learning to dance madly before the Lord, even if everybody else is wondering what's going on. But what about my heart? What if my heart and my emotions aren't really feeling celebratory? What if I'm, what if I'm just not experiencing what my eyes are seeing inside? I did a wedding last night. And uh, groom, first time being married, him and his bride. And he came up to me and he goes, listen, I, I'm, I'm excited, but I'm not really like feeling it. And I go, okay. And he said, you know, I mean, I mean I'm, everybody said I'm going to get like all, you know, jittery and nervous. And I'm just like, let's do this. I'm so excited. Is that normal? And I go, well, here's the thing. When she turns the corner, talk to me then about how you feel. And he's like, okay. So we get into the wedding. This is just last night. This is fresh. And I'm up there. Bridal party comes down. Flower girls come down. Petals. Music starts. I ask everyone to stand. I step forward so I'm beside him. And his bride comes and she turns the corner. And they make eye contact. And I look over at him. And he is shaking with tears. <laughs> shaking with tears. Like, <laughs> I mean, kind of like, kind of ugly face in it. You know what I mean? So I put my hand on his shoulder because I knew. And I said, so how now are you feeling? And I had a microphone on, and he said loud enough, as his bride's coming down the aisle, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> no, it was awesome. So the, the truth of it is sometimes it takes a minute for our, our lives to catch up with our emotions, and that's today what we're going to talk about. What if I don't feel like I'm living a life of celebration? Now this, uh, for us, if you're new to church, we don't just come up with clever ways of sharing things. We, we, we have a, a method uh, that we walk through to understand anything that is pressing to our humanity. And so this question we feel like can only be answered by looking to two places. And for us at Kesed, it's something that we've broke down to two words, scripture and spirit. 
Uh, we look at everything through those two lenses and we build everything from those two lenses. We pray that the Spirit of God reveals to us, presses upon us, shares with us, enlightens us, convicts us of these things that, that we're searching his face for. And then we look to scripture. We look to the Bible and we ask these questions and we see, are these answers here? Is it, is it being presented and shared here? And if the spirit and scripture line up, then we know that God's revealing himself. A few things for us to realize about that. One, spirit will never contradict scripture. Spirit will never contradict scripture, ever. People are like, the Lord's telling me. Every single time, if God's telling them, he will have told somebody in here something like that. Spirit will never contradict scripture, and scripture will never contradict the spirit. And so it's so foundational to our beliefs that that's where we lean into today. So to start off, we're going to pray. We're going we're to engage with the Spirit who's already here. We're going to ask him to reveal himself, to, uh, to, to break through the distractions that we brought with us. And so even if you've never prayed before, let's just try it out. You're here. Might as well. You'll be the only one with your eyes open if you're not. So everybody close your eyes, bow your head. Heavenly Father, some of us are praying to you for the very first time. It's feeling kind of weird right now. But we're here and we're available. We're open. We walked in with all kinds of distractions. We walked in with needs. We walked in with worries, with concerns, with frustration, maybe even with anger, with discontentment, with apathy. We walked in, Lord, not really knowing what it is we needed. But we know that if we come into your presence and we rest within your spirit, we know that our needs can be met beyond our expectations. I ask, Lord, right now in this room that you would even us out. That those who know you the most or those who don't know you at all would feel your presence the same. There would be an experience. There would be an enlightening. There would be a movement, Lord, within us as this time together studying your scripture moves us through, brings us through, and puts us in a place where we can receive from you exactly what it is you want to show us. I thank you for every person in this room, for every footstep that you directed that brought them to this place right now. We surrender our agendas to you, our plans to you, and anything else. May you be the one who's speaking and teaching. May you be the one who's listening and hearing. Thank you, Father, that you can use us like this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So now turning to scripture to answer this question. What if I don't feel like I'm living a life of celebration? I want to start off with teaching you uh, the six primary feasts in the Old Testament that God gave to his Jewish people for them to celebrate. Now, a lot of times, uh, if you're a relevant church these days, people are staying in the New Testament because the New Testament is when Jesus came and that's, that's the new covenant, that's us today. We are the church that Jesus founded. But the Old Testament, which never contradicts, right, which always encourages and always enlightens, has incredible bones of our faith. It has incredible foundational aspects. And so oftentimes when you're looking for New Testament answers, you got to look back into Old Testament scripture. you got to see what God has been revealing all along. So we have the nation of Israel founded by God. These are his people. These are his spokespeople into the world. And he gives them points of celebration throughout their year. Six specific celebrations or festivals that he calls them to celebrate throughout the year. And I want to share those with you right now. The first one is the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets is celebrating that God provided a ram for Abraham to sacrifice instead of his son Isaac. The sounding of a ram's horn meant deliverance to the people of Israel. This was the Feast of Trumpets. The next one is the Feast of Purim. The Feast of Purim celebrating that through Queen Esther, God brought about the deliverance of the Jewish nation. 
This was a time when uh, women weren't allowed to even speak in court, and God uses this humble woman and raises her up to be the, the wife of the king, and then she speaks on behalf of the Israeli people in the royal courtroom, and she shares about the Jewish people and who they are and their plight, and the king saves them. And so they had a feast to celebrate this, the Feast of Purim. The next one is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For seven days, all of the Israelites ate bread without leaven, which was a symbol of sin. And so it was a symbol that God had set them apart from the rest of the world and that he had called them his own. There's the Day of Atonement. This was the holiest day of the year. Worshippers were called to examine their lives for sin. And then that sin was transferred to a scapegoat who was led outside the city while another lamb was laid upon the altar and sacrificed. Also on this day, the high priest entered the holiest place, and it was only this time of year that he would do so, and he would anoint it with blood. Fifth, there's the Feast of Tabernacles. During this feast, the priests prayed for rain and poured out offerings of water to remember God's provision of his life-giving resource in the wilderness when the people of Israel wandered for 40 years. Lastly is the Feast of Dedication, also known as Hanukkah. This celebrates the rededication of the stolen temple and the miracle that occurred when a one-day supply of lamp oil burned for eight days. These are the feasts of God. If you were a Jewish person still today, uh, a person who uh, is Old Testament only, you would still celebrate these feasts. These are given by God to his people to celebrate. And there's all kinds of overarching reasons why. The biggest thing that God's teaching here is that his people's celebrations, I'll put it up there, their celebrations were based in the truths of God's place or workings within their lives. That when God called them to celebrate, it was based upon what he did for them, his place within their life that he carried. I am your God, you are my, you are my people, I am your father, you are my children. Or it was based upon his workings, his actual actions that he did through queens and water and, and, and rams, all kinds of physical things that he did for his people. So place or workings is what God is illustrating here. What God was sharing with them when it came to how they felt about celebrations is fairly easy to see. For God's place alone within their story resulted in a posture of regular celebration. Just the reality that God was in their story and working and had a place meant that they were required to celebrate. And this is profound because for us, I think a natural question is, what if I don't feel it? But apparently that's not the right question. Apparently it's more about what did God do for me that then requires I receive a posture of celebrating his works and his place in my life. And feelings really don't have much to do about it. In this way, God was continually highlighting his own place, his own desires, and his own will within their everyday lives. God is, is incredibly focused on making sure you know he's the best you're ever going to have. He is the best gift you're ever going to give. Get. He is, he is the very best promise you're ever going to make. There is nothing higher than him. And so when God says, worship me, he isn't saying, you be small, I'll be big. He's saying there is nothing better for your life than to worship me because I'm the best there is. There is no higher purpose than to worship God. None. And yet as people that are fairly caught up in feelings and people that since the fall are fairly caught up with managing our own worlds, Adam and Eve, being the center of the story, it's really hard for us to think that there's something better than us out there. 
Now, we all experience this when we get married. We experience it when we have children. Our children are born instantly thinking they're better than us. They don't, they don't, they cry, they whine, and they're like, whatever was important to you before is not as important as I am right now. And this is just the human nature. This is just how we are, how we live, how we experience life. I am the most important person in my world. Without Christ, I will be self-centered, I will be selfish, and eventually I will put myself in a place of incredible power and dominance And then when my world falls apart, I'll look for somebody else to blame every time. Every single time. But God says, I am the greatest thing that you've ever seen. I am your purpose. I am your hope. And if you put that that emotion aside and embrace my works and my place in your life, then you will experience a greater value for where it is you are and what it is you're experiencing than you ever could before. Now, this took generations and generations of understanding for people. I don't think people just fell into this and started worshiping and put all the pieces together. I think that priests taught this, and, and grandfathers taught this to grandsons, and, and grandmothers taught this, taught this to granddaughters. And there was, there was talk about, do you see the works in the place of God? For the feasts were a reminder of this incredible gift. And eventually people caught on and they begin to respond to God according to the posture he had placed them in, which is one of celebration. Look, for instance, at Psalm 19.7 and read it from that context. The writer says, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord, look at this phrase, is clean, enduring forever. And the judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous all together. See, with context, suddenly what you realize is this is an exclamation of praise from from a a difficult time, most likely in someone's life, when they are proclaiming what their fathers, fathers, fathers knew because of celebrations that God had given them. And that is that God is deserved of it all. Whether it is in the high parts or the low, everything in between, God is deserving of it all. And when you can begin to proclaim that there is nothing that God can do that hasn't, that hasn't turned out to be for the betterment of me, that hasn't turned out to be for the betterment of who I am, then suddenly the places and the workings of God become things that force us reflectively, reflexively into a place of celebration that we then pour out from God. God, no matter the difficulty, you and you alone are worthy of my praise. Another way to say it, for you more linear thinkers, those who get a little less caught up in the art of the phrase, 2 Samuel twenty-two thirty-one says this, as for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tested. He is a shield to all who takes refuge in him. See, God is proclaiming to you during these celebration moments, during these opportunities, like today, when you're getting to hear from someone that doesn't know you personally, that hasn't walked where you walked, and yet prays with you that the Holy Spirit would reveal to him, through him, to you, that God is willing for you to test him with your biggest fear, your biggest concern, your greatest love. God is willing for you to examine your life 
in contrast with his will, his way, his workings, and his place. And he is willing to make himself evident within your story. If you're willing to be what I prayed over you already, whether you received it or not, it was prayed available. See, people don't realize when they pray prayers of availability, they're praying a dangerous prayer. When you're like, God, I'm available. God, I'll do it. I mean, that's a Gideon prayer. That's, not, that's messed up right there. Like, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I know what I want to do, but I'll do whatever you want me to do. When you start stepping into that place, that's a Samuel prayer. That's an Elijah prayer. That's a Jesus prayer. Take this cup from me, but your will be done. When you're available and you recognize that whatever path God has laid out before you, it will bring about the best for you because he is the best for you. Man, that's a, that's a special place when you can say, my God's been tested and he's been found free of failure. He's been found pure of heart. He's been found worthy of praise. As God followers, this dangerous place, it's these tested places of God's workings that we can go to no matter what the circumstance to find the comfort we need. This has always been a mind-blowing part of the gospel's power that most of us don't realize we're supposed to be leaning into. People think that when you share your faith, you're supposed to do what I do. You're supposed to speak and, and have some verses, and you're supposed to explain to someone all these different elements. The reality is the greatest thing you can do to share your faith is follow this example that Christians before you and Christians after you have followed, and that is to move of a place of reflective celebration to God while everything else around you is falling apart. The world has no idea what to do with that testimony. The world has no idea what to do when there are, we'll lean into scripture because that's what we do, when there are fires roaring up the mountains, when there's earthquakes in the foundations, when there's wind all around, and when you walk to the front of the cave and you hear the Spirit of God whisper upon you, I know what's going on. I've got you. I know why you're here. The world is, is tripping when you do this. Because the world's at the center of its own purpose. And when you step outside in the midst of your own tornado and say, hey, whatever happens, happens. I'm just going to be where God wants. I'm going to celebrate him no matter. God's word has been tested. God's word is wise. God, the precepts, the commandments, the fear of the Lord is clean. When you start speaking that kind of language, people go, you're either crazy or you figured something out that I need to know. Generally, you know the difference between a crazy person and someone that figured out something you don't need to know? The amount of time they can stay in it. Because people who, are, who are, just, are just being religious, people who are just dancing around and trying to make potions out of verses and, and trying to, to, to cast all kinds of poor theology around their situation, and those people don't last very long. They end up bitter, angry, and they usually leave every community they're a part of, only to find another community that doesn't know about their magic tricks yet. Yeah, I got personal. If you're here to, to show us your magic tricks because your other church got tired of dealing with you, I'm just here to tell you, I'm going to pray the Spirit of God reveals himself to you in such a way that you just learn to suffer better. Mm. Yeah, I didn't mean it to get that personal, but somebody in here needed to hear that right now, and you're so offended. But if you leave now, everybody's going to know it's you. It's going to be super awkward, so you got to stay. <laughs> it's to these places that the gospel has always gone, and it's to these places. This is why it's important. The gospel has always stayed. Frankly, 
and I, I hate this because this does not grow or develop churches, but the gospel lives in this place of suffering. The gospel lives in the antithesis of what the world thinks is normal. And if the world thinks normal is success and shiny and, and super, the gospel is full of suffering and, and, and struggle and strain. And it's, it's, not, it's not something that is, that is depleting you. It's actually something that because of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life is causing you to soar within those things. But it's your countenance. It's this place of celebration that people look at and they go, this just doesn't fit. I saw what happened to you. I saw where you came from. I know your people, one lady said to me one time. I know your people. How'd you end up a pastor? <laughs> True story. But it was, the, it was, and I'll say this carefully, it was the glow of my countenance and the fact she knew my people that spoke to her and made it so very real. This is where the gospel lives. This is the hope. 1 Peter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is, listen to these words, this is your inheritance, this is your hope, is imperishable, undefiled, and unfaded, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is, listen to this, I need to unpack this for you, okay? This verse is very important for you to understand how your gospel lives itself out because our inheritance is the gospel fully formed, right? It's, we are the seed that the gospel lives within and God in heaven is growing glorious flowers, if you will. We don't get to see all the things that are being accomplished because of the gospel till we're in heaven. And in heaven, our inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Meaning on earth, oftentimes our inheritance is perishable, defiled, and fading. See, we read the verse and we go, why don't I have that? And it's like, no, the verse is speaking to what you have. You feel defiled. You feel like everything your life builds, builds is perishing. You feel like you are fading. And God's like, yes, that's where the gospel lives. And the gospel lives there and develops into something that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That's why the word in the verse towards the end is guard, God, God guards that. He protects that. But we live in a place where we want all the petals now. And if you don't have the petals now, if you can't experience the peace of God uh, every single day, do you realize the verse says it's a peace that surpasses understanding? So when you don't feel the peace of God and you don't understand why, you're exactly where the gospel is. When you're like, I'm not feeling this, someone should be like, you probably don't understand. I don't. Great. Let's pray for God's peace to come in and be a peace that you don't understand. If I did understand because our church is growing and life is good and my wife is awesome and my kids are perfect, that would be a piece of understanding. Are we, is this happening? Like, are you seeing this? We read the Bible and proclaim things that God is using to show us where we're at and then use them against him to say, why aren't we there? And God's like, are you human? And he's like, that's right, you are, but I am a God of incredible patience. I am a God of incredible love. And even though you're using my gifts that are supposed to bring you rejoicing against me, I will still love you for I am a God who never breaks covenant. 
I am a God that has followed you through every single piece of garbage decision you've made into this auditorium today so you could hear from a guy who's made a lot of piece of garbage decisions about a God who doesn't throw away garbage. I'm here today to tell you there is restoration and there is hope if you will just accept that in this defiled world, in this perishable world, in this fading world, God is guarding your inheritance. And that if you can lean into this place and receive from God the festivals of his grace, the festivals of his forgiveness, the festivals of his glory, then you and I can suddenly be people who are looking towards the treasure that is to come instead of the tyranny of this world that is led by my own pride right now. (sighs) Yeah, that's, this, uh, if, you, if you're still trying to unpack this, let me just show, show you something right now that I hope for some of you blows your minds. For others, you may have seen this and maybe no one put it together, or maybe you knew all this and I'm the only one who just kind of tied some of this together. But I told you from the beginning, God has been pointing everything back to himself. So let me show you something when it comes to these feasts, these Old Testament feasts that he knew would be in his canon of scripture. He knew that we would study them. He knew that we would read them. He knew that, that the Jews would continue to, to, to honor them and he knew they would stay around for forever and ever. And so let me just point out a few things and show you just how God continues to point to himself even today. Look at the Feast of Trumpets. I told you it's celebrating God's provided ram for Abraham. With the sounding of a ram's horn, that meant deliverance. So traditionally... When it came to the the Jewish nation, traditionally the trumpet blast that they would sound from the mountaintops uh, to signal this feast meant the harvest was over and the work could cease. That's why the festival would start. Can I read to you a verse in 1 Thessalonians? It says this, verse 416, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Yes, a trumpet will announce the end of the harvest on earth. A trumpet is what will start the festival of the new creation. Because it's always been Jesus at the center of even that celebration. What about the Feast of Purim? Celebrating that through this humble woman who would become a queen sitting in a royal court, Queen Esther, God would bring about the deliverance of his people. Of course, this is a picture of a lowly servant becoming a key to all people's savior, full salvation for an entire nation. Philippians 2, 8, 9 says, And being found in human form, he, the Christ, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Yes, even in this illustration, Christ is the humble Savior bringing deliverance to his people. It's once again Jesus. It's a picture of Jesus. Esther is a picture of Jesus. They're celebrating the one who would come and humble himself and enter the throne room of God to speak on behalf of all his people to the king who could decide their their fates and the king would see because of his love for her and make a decision to save an entire group. It's Jesus again. How about the feast of unleavened bread? Here the Israelites ate bread without leaven. 
which is a symbol of sin. They did it all the time. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then just to drive home the point, in this passage, you don't realize, because we're not part of the tradition, that Jesus, who proclaimed to be the bread of life, was buried after his crucifixion on the feast of unleavened bread, so that he might bring to life the entire earth. Again, it's Jesus. It's always Jesus. Over and over and over and over again, the day of atonement. I mean, do I have to explain this to you? Worshippers during the day of atonement would examine their lives for sin, which was then transferred to a scapegoat that would be led outside of the city so that it could die, while another lamb that was innocent would be slaughtered. Hebrews 9.12 explains it for us. It says, he entered once and for all into the holy place, the place where only the priests could go, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Yes, Jesus was led as our state scapegoat outside Jerusalem to Calvary, bearing our sin. And then Jesus, the Lamb of God, was sacrificed for us, and so entering as our priest the most holy place once and for all, all through the blood of his own perfectness. <laughs> Feast the tabernacles. Here the priest poured out offerings of water to remember God's provision in the wilderness. Did you know that Jesus chose this very feast to announce that he was the living water? During this feast is when Jesus says in John 7, 30, uh, 37, 38, on the last days of that feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus walks into the Feast of Tabernacles, which celebrates water that never ran out, and says, I am the water that never runs out. I am what you've been celebrating this entire time. Unbelievable. He's proclaiming to them like he's still proclaiming to us now. I am the centerpiece of all celebration. Lastly, the Feast of Dedication, celebrating the rededication of the temple and the miracle that occurred, a lamp of oil burned for eight days. It's on this day that the Jewish leaders during this feast asked Jesus for a miracle to prove he was the Messiah. They recognized him as a, as a, uh, a rabbi, but they didn't recognize him as the Messiah. And so they asked him for a miracle during the Feast of Dedication, which was celebrating a miracle. And he says to them, John 10, 22, 26, at that time of that Feast of Dedication, took, Jesus took, uh, at the time, at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered him, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. He says, I have been performing lamp oil miracles for three years, bro. Like, I have never ran out. I have never failed. I have never made a mistake. And now you're asking me without even knowing it during the Feast of Dedication, which is highlighting the miracles of God, to prove to you that these miracles I've been doing are of God? I am the centerpiece of all that you celebrate. Jesus Christ has been woven into every 
Old Testament Jewish celebration to this day, telling us and showing us, I'll put it on here, that in all our celebrating, Jesus is supposed to be at the very center. For he is the imperishable, undefiled, and unfading inheritance. It's him. It's him. He is the one who has never broken covenant. He is the one who protects. He is the one that stays with. And he is our reason for celebrating no matter. There is no matter. No matter the situation. No matter the difficulties. No matter what it is I deal with or you deal with. When I stand before God and I receive the ways and works of his presence, I immediately reflexively move into a place of celebration with him. It doesn't matter how I feel because it doesn't matter what I'm going to. It's no matter. It's always been about Jesus. This is why you feeling and me feeling like celebration is not what true celebration is. Celebration is sitting in a place which screams to the world that you're different than them. It's sitting in a place and proclaiming that God has me no matter my failures, no matter my mistakes, no matter the insecurities in my life, no matter the decisions, no matter my addictions, no matter my hurt, no matter the the situations, no matter the marriage, no matter the divorce, no matter the failure, I could go on and on and on and on and on. It doesn't matter when it's sitting within the throne room of Jesus. He sees you and he loves you and he moves towards you and it is only you moving away who is keeping this embrace from happening. There are people in the room you need to stop. You've been running backwards for so long right now, it's getting ridiculous. Everybody but you knows that Jesus is about to catch you. Just let him. Like everybody knows. Everybody knows God's gonna do something incredible with your life. Just stop and receive it. Stop fighting. And I'm saying that with love. Stop fighting and embrace the one who has followed you through all situations and all difficulties and is making himself known that he is the center of the celebration you lack so much. That's why so much joy is missing from your life. That's why you're lonely. That's why you're sad. Because without Jesus Christ, there is very little to celebrate in this world because it is all defiled. It is all perishing and it is all fading. But with Jesus Christ, with Jesus Christ this loser can stand on stage and tell you he's still married and it's only because of Jesus with Jesus Christ this person can stand on stage and tell you I read the Bible and God just grabs me by the throat half the time half the time I got to prepare myself to read it because I'm like I need to not be grabbed by the throat today can we just do a shoulder tap and he's like no you don't respond well to shoulder taps Danny we both know that (laughs) these sermons pour from me because they're so convicting to me And I share with you as a fellow struggler that I have poured my life into things that don't matter. And so I lived a life that for so very long was, it's just wrong. And Jesus got a hold of me and he forgave me. And I still push him around a little while and he lets it for some reason. But I've said this before, I told my wife, I said, you know what I know about Jesus? Jesus likes me a lot. And he thinks I'm hilarious. He does. There's not a person in the room that thinks I'm funnier than Jesus does. It's, it's all, and, and, and you know, whatever your thing is, whatever God, whatever you know you are, you know, whatever you know is, is just kind of woven into your DNA, that's all Jesus stuff. And he thinks you're beautiful. And he thinks you're special. 
And he thinks you're valuable no matter how you've been treated. And he's tired of you believing anybody else but him. For he is the only thing worthy of changing your celebratory perspective because he is the best thing you're ever going to get. And so he keeps offering himself to you, trying to renew you through his love, trying to show you that this is going to fade, this is going to perish, this is going to defile. And it's time, friends, I'm telling you today, it's time. This is the year. This is the moment. Your marriage can be healed. Your story can be made different. You can leave here with a connection like you've never had before and people will ask what it is and you can simply say like I did on the slides, Jesus. In every feast, in every situation, in every struggle, in every failure, you can go, Jesus. This, this is what he's offering. And so I'm gonna pray that with a few of you right now. I'm gonna ask that your heads bow. If you've never accepted Christ in your heart, if you've never taken it serious, Just pray this simple prayer right now if you're ready and say, God, it's me. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of hurting. I'm tired. I'm just tired. God, I need something worthy of celebration. I need something to complete these parts of me that I've been trying to complete with with poor decision, with alcohol, with drugs, with sex, with, with other worship, with busyness, with hurriedness, with success. I need God to be completed by you. I need to celebrate you. And so I recognize that your son died on a cross for me. I ask your forgiveness for the things that have kept me from turning to you and receiving your embrace. Please fix my broken heart. Please exchange this one of stone for one of flesh. Please hold me closer than I've ever been held before so that I may celebrate your goodness and your life. With everyone's heads still bowed, there's other people in this room. You've been, you've been playing games for a while now. You've accepted Christ in your life, but you've got all these excuses. You've got all these wounds that you haven't realized God is willing to heal if you will just simply reach back out and grab a hold of him. I pray this simple prayer for you right now that just says, God, I'm back. Forgive me for forgetting to look into your eyes. Forgive me for being distracted. Please receive me like you once did. Make me whole again. Bring my story full circle so that I can bring glory to you and celebrate all the things you've never, ever walked away from me with. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Here, in just a moment, you're going to be offered communion. This is for people who've accepted Christ either just today or you've been a Christian. If you're still on a journey and you're searching for Jesus, this isn't for you. Just feel free to let the communion trace past. But for those of you 
understand now a little better just what it means to receive the good news of Jesus, the celebratory news of Jesus, please take this bread, please take this juice, and I just want you to hold it in your hand. I'm going to come back up, and we're going to take it together as a family. Amen? Amen. Go ahead. Who am I that the highest